0: Hi, this is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why cheap astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, Episode 8, Thinking Big. As is so often said, space is big, like really big, and things are far away like uber far away, and we are all star stuff, and often prone to hyperbole. Nonetheless, it is kind of impressive that not only have we determined that the universe is ginormous, but that it is getting bigger moment by moment. So here's Barry to talk us through who was the first person to figure all this out.
1: Dear Cheap Astronomy, Hubble or Le Matre? Good question. In terms of firsts, it was probably Le though Hubble is the one who came up with the most convincing evidence. The issue we are dealing with here is who first determined that the universe was expanding. As it happens, in 1912, Vesto Slipher, an American astronomer born in Indiana, determined that the light from a number of spiral nebula was red-shifted due to their receding velocity. So we should note that Slipher was the first person to determine that distant galaxies were redshifted. He just didn't know that the nebulae he was measuring were distant galaxies. Anyhow, the Belgian physicist and astronomer Georges Lemaitre, who trained as a priest but also worked as a graduate student at the University of Cambridge with Arthur Eddington, had a good understanding of Einstein's general relativity when he began looking at Slipher's data. He published a report in 1927 entitled, after translation, A Homogeneous Universe of Constant Mass and Growing Radius Accounting for the Radial Velocity of Extragalactic Nebulae. In the report, he outlined what is now called Hubble's Law, and he made the first calculation of what is now called the Hubble Constant. Lemaitre actually sent his work to Albert Einstein, asking for comment. Einstein's reply was somewhat scathing. Your calculations are correct, but your physics is atrocious. Of course, this preceded Einstein's forehead-slapping realisation of his so-called biggest blunder. Einstein did later acknowledge that Lemaitre had done some outstanding work, although Einstein also seemed to go along with the prevailing view that Edwin Hubble had made the real discovery of the expanding universe. Another person who may tie several threads of this story together was the Dutch astronomer and physicist, Wilhelm de Sitter, who was a close contemporary of Einstein, and before 1920 had himself developed an expanding universe solution to Einstein's field equations. Apparently, de Sitter had also become interested in Vesto Slipher's redshifted nebulae data in the early 1920s. Then, allegedly, De Sitter met Edwin Hubble at an astronomy conference in 1928 and talked Hubble through some of the prevailing theoretical views that were being bounced around at that time. Allegedly, Hubble then returned to the US determined to test the ideas that De Sitter had discussed. In 1929, Hubble announced his own data that confirmed a linear relationship between the distance and the redshift of different nebulae. This became known as Hubble's law and the rate of change, that is, the gradient of the linear relationship, became known as Hubble's constant. Hubble was undoubtedly a darn good astronomer, and was fortunate to have access to the 100-inch Hooker telescope, probably the world's most powerful telescope of the day. He had already announced, in 1924, the profound discovery that distant nebulae were positioned far outside the known dimensions of the Milky Way, So, in 1929, Hubble was well placed to promote the expanding universe in a way that Georges Lemaitre never could have. Indeed, Lemaitre seemed happy to renounce any prior claim, deliberately omitting his own estimations of the so-called Hubble law and constant, when his 1927 paper was translated into English around 1930. In any case... Matra is generally credited with originating the concept of the Big Bang, which he did around 1932, so he holds a key place in cosmological history anyway. Albert Einstein, who had pretty much started this whole business, visited Edwin Hubble at Mount Palomar in 1931. This turned into a bit of a media event, and hence further cemented the public view that it had been all about Hubble. Although, allegedly, when a reporter told Einstein's wife Elsa that the giant Hooker telescope had been used to determine the nature of the universe, she replied, well, my husband does that on the back of an old envelope.
0: And thanks, Barry. A lot of science fame does tend to fall to people who just happen to be in the right place at the right time. But those people were top-notch scientists and they did contribute something to the outcome. So, what the heck? Anyhow, although Einstein could envision the universe on the back of an old envelope, it still tends to have the rest of us scratching our heads. It seems to be finite in volume, but it has no edge, and it is expanding faster and faster, and may well do that forever. So here's Julia trying to grapple with putting all that into plain English.
2: Dear Cheap Astronomy, Since space and time began at a Big Bang singularity and expanded in all directions, why is there no centre in our universe? John from the UK Hi John, thanks for another great question. But it's hard to give you an answer that won't seem a bit unsatisfactory. Perhaps the best answer to this question is that you can't ever hope to measure where the centre of the universe is, so it becomes kind of pointless asking about it. Firstly, it's important to appreciate that we are, and we always have been, at the centre of our observable universe. This just means that we can look out in any direction and, in doing so, look back to some of the earliest observable parts of a much younger and much smaller observable universe but we have to face the fact that we will never see, or travel beyond, this observable universe. We can still observe distant regions of it, as those regions were when they were much younger, but we know that those distant regions are now, like today now, moving away from us faster than the speed of light, due to the cumulative expansion of the universe over billions of years. Nonetheless, it is quite plausible that there is more universe out there that extends far beyond the limits of our observable universe. It is statistically unlikely that our observable universe is in the centre of that much larger universe, but we are never going to know whether it is or not. Any discussion about the centre of the universe will always seem kind of frustrating and unsatisfactory because, being humans with our well-developed visual and spatial perception, we are instinctively drawn to the idea that there should be a centre. For example, you can try to imagine some point outside of the universe from which we could observe the whole universe from a distance and then be able to identify a point within it that represents its centre. But if you think about it, this is nonsensical. If you are outside the universe, there is no space-time, so light can't travel to your eye to allow you to see the universe in the first place. And even theoretically, if you tried to observe from a distance something which has opposite edges, that are expanding away from each other at faster than the speed of light, then you could never hope to make a proper determination of that thing's width. Regardless of when and where you choose to determine the position of its near edge, the far edge would have already moved beyond your perception. So the only way to measure the dimensions of the universe is from inside the universe and then your perception becomes limited to the spherical bubble of your own particular observable universe. And that's that. We have to acknowledge that the actual dimensions of our universe are unknowable, and hence the position of its centre is also unknowable. Part of this problem is that the theoretical edges of our universe are expanding away from us faster than light. But even if we imagine a closed universe in which the cumulative gravity of that universe's contents is sufficient to drag space-time back down into a big crunch, you would still not be able to find or measure the location of its edges. The space-time of a closed universe is curved in upon itself. So, if you attempted to fly out towards that universe's edges, your world-line geodesic would get curved back around so that you might find yourself coming back to where you started from. Alternatively, if you just used a telescope to look outwards, then, in a small, closed universe and with the right magnification, you might find yourself looking at the back of your head. So it's not so much that the universe doesn't have a centre, as that its centre is unmeasurable and unknowable. From there, it becomes a question of whether something that is unmeasurable and unknowable can really be said to exist. And if you didn't like that answer much, we could just tell you that if the universe really did expand from a single point, then everything that came from that single point must all still be in the centre. It's just a much bigger centre now.
0: And thanks, Julia. We can at least all envision an expanding sphere. We just have to remember that the universe is a sphere that doesn't have an outer surface. If we just think of it as space, then it is a self-contained volume of empty space, finite but unbounded. But if we more correctly think of it as space-time, then even though it might be finite in space, it does seem as though it's going to keep expanding forever, so space-time-wise, you might think that it's infinite and unbounded. And that's probably enough hyperbole for one episode. If you have a space science question, or just want to go, Oh, far out, man. Space is intense. Just write to cheapastro at gmail dot com. This is Steve Nalick. Thanks for listening. Oh, far out space, man. Space is intense. (laughs) (laughs) Ha <laughs>